It's over to the supreme god of music, Tom York. Hello, Jimmy. <laughs> this year, we released our new album, In Rainbows. Can you tell me... Can you tell me... Can the panel tell me what was special about that? That was good, wasn't it? That's brilliant. Tell me all. Welcome to Peak Show, where 2 plus 2 always makes a 5. I'm your host, the very fucking special Brie Rohde, and who is with me today? Uh, you've, you've got Cam Gordon from Twitter Canada, Brie. It's, uh, it's, it's good to see you. It's good to talk to you today. Yeah, sorry, you said Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. The uh, Never heard of it. The social media <laughs> app. It's, uh, it's kind of obscure. You look it's, on the app store, you can just search us. It's yeah. three T's. <laughs> it's, uh, it's run by, run by a bird. Um, and Cam, you're here because, because uh, as I was saying off mic, you got a great voice, but also you're communications professional. You are extremely knowledgeable about music. You've got a few music-related projects that we're going to talk about. Um, but more importantly, you are also a Gen X hipster, which is why we're here to talk <laughs> about the peaks and valleys of a very Gen X band, one of my yeah. favorite bands, the storied Radiohead. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely uh, a band of my generation. And I, I feel like when you invited me to come on, you say, hey, you're a middle-aged white guy. This is probably right up your alley <laughs> or something. And you're, you, guess what? It's you're true. right. It's like, yes, it is. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I, you, uh, we were just talking about some of your ongoing music projects. You want to tell some of our listeners about that? Um, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, there's a, there's a few different things. Um you know, we're doing a podcast today during the pandemic. I've been guesting weekly on the Toronto, speaking of middle-aged white guys, um, the Toronto Mike podcast you might be familiar with from media and new media circles. So we've been doing a, a weekly uh, music countdown pandemic Fridays, which is now wrapped. Um, we've actually wrapped our final episode. Um, unfortunately, we Delta was not on the schedule, so I suppose it could be ongoing. But I, I did that for about a year and a half. Um, I also have a music blog, completelyignored.com, which I would say is sort of languishing here in the COVID age, mainly because of the podcast commitments with Toronto Mike. It is chewing up a lot of my time, but I'll look for that to come back at some point. And then uh, beyond that, just stray music tweets that normally get one or two likes, even though I have like 7,700 followers. So the ratio... <laughs> you We talk on Twitter about people getting ratioed. Those tweets do not get ratioed. Uh, they get very little engagement, but I have fun with them anyway. Fellas, let's help Cam out uh, yeah. so that he will not be completely ignored. Throw me um, a heart. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, now you're you're doing a lot right now. And, uh, you know, we appreciate all the work that you do for music and for that sweet little bluebird. Uh, but Cam, what uh, all of our what all five of our listeners want to know <laughs> is um, when did you peak? Um. You know, I, I'm one of those people who had a few small peaks rather than one big peak. But, um, you know, one that comes to mind is a bit of a no-brainer. 2008, uh, late in the year when when my daughter was born, um, she'll be turning 13 um, in the fall, which, uh, well, the 
I guess late late fall because it's December nineteenth. Technically, mm-hmm. still the fall. Um, yeah, I mean, it was sort of kind of a obviously a big before and after moment. Of course. Um, but you know, I, I'm I became a father in that moment, which you know, for a lot of people are peaking. It's been a it's been a lot of fun. She's awesome and really cool, and she's starting to get into music too, which is been fun uh she she loves slash hates when i ask her who she's listening to because i want to do some like market research and uh, <laughs> i i do hear her humming like olivia rodrigo songs and she she had a big uh hamilton phase so she's listening to the soundtrack a lot but i i do like to remind her about some of the cool artists she liked when she was five namely uh she was she was sort of big into the strokes which I thought was pretty cool. I, I guess they were sort of like jangly. If you're like you're a tiny kid, that maybe that would appeal to the sensibility. Um, but yeah, but when I peak, let's say late 2008. Awesome. And uh, you know, to our various other parents we've had on this podcast that didn't say that the year their kid was born was when they peaked, step it up. It's hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Harsh. yeah. So it's it's funny because you talk about like getting kids into music uh, when you're young and my parents, um, like I love them, but like they like air supply. Um, okay. You know, my, I think the coolest do have, thing. Do we have I, the same parents? <laughs> <laughs> possibly. My parents are like just the perfect cross section of your average like white Canadian boomers. Um, okay. They, yeah. Like my mom was a real Clay Aiken fan. Um, I think the best thing that my dad ever got me into was, well, we used to listen to the Eagles a lot on car rides. So I, you know, became kind of a white guy at a young age. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, And Carly (laughs) Simon. My dad actually really helped me develop a a big love of Carly Simon and James Taylor. But um, even Rush, which is like, I am a huge Rush fan. I have a giant Rush tattoo, like the ultimate dad band. I kind of came to Rush on my own. Um, really okay. yeah I, how, I how did that happen um i was at a local concert uh because there's a lot of cover bands where i'm from because there's <laughs> nothing else to do there's a, sure, a lot of yeah. coke and meth in my hometown which means okay. there's a lot of cover bands goes um, with the cover bands yeah and someone um someone uh did a really bad cover of spirit of radio and i hated the cover but i love the song Ooh, um, okay. yeah i love that that's ambitious oh. that's like little 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 like yeah. to try to Good, good for them for trying, but geez. Speaking as a very weak soprano, it's one yeah. of the easier Getty Lee songs to sing. So it's, if you if you can hit a yeah, C, you're good. That. Yeah. yeah. All, um, I guess the all the world will be a stage. Like that part's yeah. probably hard, but uh, yeah. everything else probably pretty standard. <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, but with um, with Radiohead, like my sister's five years older than me, and so you'd think that would have been how I came into that, but like my i've said this on this podcast before my sister i love her but she was not cool um like she liked aqua (laughs) at this time oh wow Um, okay so like i i'll get into how i came into radiohead but the reason i really wanted to do it for peak show is because like i i've thought oh radiohead's a really polarizing band but not in the way of you either love them or hate them like radiohead is a very mainstream band they've been very very successful but i don't know if they've ever been persistently on the radar enough and maybe that's just because they were so alternative maybe it's because they're not american um but people who weren't into them didn't have to care about them they weren't a band that like to my knowledge i mean you were more into music consumption in the 90s because i was a kid but it never felt like radiohead was shoved down anyone's throat and so i don't feel like they're an either you love them or you hate them band I find them polarizing is that fans of Radiohead have extremely strong opinions about them and like which of their albums is the best and by the way if you think this one's the best you're wrong so that's really why I wanted to do Radiohead 
Yeah, like there, I mean, it's interesting because there's probably, I, I'm guessing, maybe like 10 years between our ages. So yeah, I can, I, I, yeah, and I, okay, so more than 10 years. I was born in 77, so that's okay. like 12 years. So, I mean, yeah, with Radiohead, I, I can remember every phase because I remember when people just thought they were one hit wonder when Creep came out and. Mm -hmm. You know they were they were kind of getting lumped in with all the uh, other British bands of the era, um, but I remember Creep would get played on uh, six forty a.m. when it was still a pop radio station. Because um, when I first heard it, I, I was not quite into like kind of the hipster rock that I'd get into maybe when I was in about grade eleven or twelve. Um, but Radiohead wasn't that; they were like on top forty stations, yeah. at least Creep was. And it was just like, oh, this band's kind of weird in the video. I see the video on Much Music all the time. It's like, this is kind of boring, but I like this song. Um, and yeah, and then they put out the Benz right after that and and away they went. Um, yeah. And I've had obviously many iterations and I've kind of like come in, gone in like waves with them for sure. I was pretty into them in the 90s and, and I didn't keep up with them the entirety of the next like 25 years or 20 years but yeah i mean they're one of those bands that sort of drift back i'm like oh yeah these guys yeah. um but yeah i mean I, I think your your comment about strong opinions about this band is pretty pretty accurate mm -hmm. i will just say and i don't know like anytime i i have friends who have kids that are around like preteen or teenage i don't know if your daughter dances at all but as a dance teacher and someone who's been teaching competitive dance specifically and spend about 10 years accompanying kids to competitions creep is going through a real renaissance of frankly really contrived covers of creep yeah and especially in competitive dance and they they're sneaky this way because they'll always name it something besides creep they'll always name it something like i don't belong or special uh -huh. or something and i yeah. hear the music i'm like oh it's another goddamn creep cover well i mean i i, I do know i've seen it pop up everywhere from like covers on eurovision type shows yeah I'm, i don't know if you recall like prince covered it at the super bowl yeah. halftime show um karaoke you know karaoke it feels like that and like wonderwall are big karaoke staples along with a bit later uh, mr brightside by the killers seems to have a real just lasting power but yeah mm -hmm. creep is considering i you know i don't think it's tom york's favorite song by any stretch for the broader populace is wildly popular but i don't think it's popular amongst radiohead fans which is mm -hmm. kind of interesting i don't know if it's a bit of a like stairway to heaven led zeppelin thing <laughs> i think there's a bit of that um yeah that song is like lasting power and yeah, it's, yeah just hear it like whether it's like little kids dancing to it or karaoke versions or eurovision um it's pretty wild because it's kind of a negative song really oh, about self-loathing and like nihilism uh, i i think also it, if this were like 2016 2017 and we were still obsessed with talking about this it would be considered like an, a nice guy song as well um sure yeah but, yeah um, yeah 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 so when i was looking you know um uh looking at their wiki because that's essentially what the history section is it's just me charmingly reading wikipedia mm -hmm. um but um they've been together for almost 40 years like they started playing in 1985 and that's absolutely crazy to think because like first of all it just reminds you of the passage of time um yes. yeah and kind of a mortality um, gimmick yeah. yeah um 
like every album that comes out people have so many feelings about also the fact that they've you know with an asterisk but gone through no lineup changes in mm-hmm. in that time which i think is really so fucking special um yeah but so the the way i got into radiohead because like um you know yeah my cool sister was not listening to radiohead in the 90s she was into aqua and the boy bands and stuff but for me Radiohead, I knew of it because it was the band that all the bad boy characters in every movie and TV show liked. They would always be mentioning Radiohead, so it was almost like a punchline to me. My first introduction to Radiohead was, of all things, which is probably not the easiest album to jump into, but Kid A. And I believe it was someone in high school sent me over MSN Messenger, um, (laughs) everything in its right place, and I was like, oh, this isn't as heavy as I thought the alleged Radiohead would be. Mm -hmm. So I started kind of of going backwards through their discography, and shortly after that, they released... Shortly after I started listening to Radiohead, they released In Rainbows when I was in, like, my last year of high school. And um, it was my English teacher who was talking about, like, the way they did the Pay What You Can release and how it was so important, not just in the context of the music industry, but in how we talk about the ownership of music and the ownership of art and who it's for. So by the time I went to university, I was like full into Radiohead. So probably I was in my deepest Radiohead uh, listening stage, like directly after you. Um, I was really into on board with everything they did. I actually even liked King of Limbs, which I know not a lot of people did. Yeah, that seems to be at the bottom of the, yeah. the, the CD pile, as oh, it I, were. With Radiohead. I think King of Limbs is lovely. I don't think it's the best, but I think it's lovely. But um, so you know, on Twitter, like everyone always does those, like, what are your ten? What were your ten favorite albums in high school? Kind of sure, and yeah. Lately, course. I always see the comment, like, yeah, none of you liked Radiohead as much as you claim to, which I guess is kind of a way of saying, like you weren't cool you maybe weren't cool enough in high school or there's no way you would have appreciated radiohead that much in high school but i actually think it is quite easy for younger listeners to appreciate radiohead i don't think as much as yes they are very alternative they fit that alt label to to a t i don't think there's anything particularly difficult to get from this band especially pre king of limbs it's it's kind of the ultimate study music i can rarely sure, listen yeah. to music with lyrics when i'm working but i listen to a lot of radiohead when i'm working yeah, like totally all atmospherics. It's interesting the way you describe it in terms of people saying they, you know, it's hard to believe they said that they were as much into Radiohead as they claim they were. Because to me, and again, like I'm 12 years older, they were just another band that was on the, like a great band that yeah. was on the radio. Because when I was growing up um, in high school and university, you know, fake plastic trees, just uh, karma police. All this stuff were just radio, like radio hits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially listening to a lot of one hundred two point one in Toronto, and you know, it'd be them, and it would be Pearl Jam, and you know, eventually like Tool and Beck, and and all those '90s bands. They were just kind of in the mix with the other popular band. The what the one song that seems like it's emerges like the set closer, the the encore is karma police which i always found interesting because at the time it didn't seem like that was like the biggest one of their hits or their iconic song it's sort of seen like on par with something like high and dry or fake plastic trees or um you know even like street spirit from from okay computer um I, I'm, I'm, i almost said okay cupid um which obviously is not a website no okay computer uh, is for androids who want to date <laughs> that that's right yeah and and then yeah by the time kid a came around um 
I think they stopped having hits in a traditional sense. Yes. And and I, I don't know about you. I, I still am not really a big fan of that album. I just felt like it seemed like they were trying too hard. The first track, um, which was... Was it just called Kid A? I feel like Kid the song Kid A was maybe yes. the second track. No, the first track is Everything in Its Right Place, which is one okay. of my favorite songs. So you, you're going to have some some resistance for me on that. But following that is Kid A. The yeah. Kid A. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know, because I'm, I'm one of those annoyings. Oh, I'm more, my favorite album was The Benz, because it was the more guitar oh. album. Um I think just because I saw them twice on, it's the only two times I've seen them both on that tour. Mm -hmm. And when I saw them in 1995 was one of like the first like real concerts I went to at the warehouse in Toronto and it was like, it was just like, it's still like a real vivid um, concert memory. Um, I mean, it was an all ages show because it was not of age yet. Um, but it was awesome where they just like ripped through that entire album and then, you know, like, four songs from Pablo Honey, like Tom <laughs> York begrudgingly playing Creep, like have all the peak sullen uh, mid-90s things. Like it was, yeah. it was it was a great try. I remember I saw them in Sonic Youth within like about a week. They both played the same venue. And like, like it, it, it sounds kind of trite, but like they were really like life-changing moments. And yeah. quickly those, well, the prior two of my favorite bands of that era to seeing them in succession was just like incredible. See, and this is why it was important for me, I think to have someone a little bit older than myself, because, you know, we're talking about peaks and like, I haven't seen Radiohead live. I had a chance to once we will get to that in the history section. Yes. But, um, to have seen bands like Radiohead and Sonic Youth when they were actually in their prime, because like, of course they've continued performing since the nineties. Um, I don't want to say it's not the same, but um, the experiential component of that for me, like if I could have been a teenager in 1995 or whatever, um, watching that live, like I would have, you know, that would have been really special. Because like, for me, you know, and this really dates me as a millennial teenage teenager, like I, my, one of my first real shows was Alexis on Fire. Um, okay. That, that's love. good though. They're, they're cool though. I, and well, that was the first show where I saw Attack in Black, which you know how much I love Attack in Black. Sure, of but um yeah like the exhilaration of like your first teenage concert and a band oh that God. is so big at that moment like i didn't because i grew up in a town where we didn't have concerts and you had to travel eight hours to get to a concert yeah. and uh so where, was, where was that show alexis on fire it was actually this was when i lived in north bay because i was in grade 12. Okay. Uh, so yeah. it was a little north bay had had a university and a college so it did get a few like it got protest the hero and stuff like that yeah. um bedouin sound clash was really big i think bedouin sound clash played that campus a bunch of times um <laughs> yeah. but um they're like the ultimate like college college campus band from the totally 2000s yeah their yeah. whole career i'm sure but for some reason they played a alexis on fire um played a seated venue it was our the local capital center theater and we destroyed it like i felt <laughs> bad because it was like the, it's the beautiful theater in town they flattened yeah, yeah, yeah. several rows of seats it was it was bad oh I my god know, who, who booked why. who booked the show do you know was oh, it just like i have no idea but someone at the capital center i'm like you should have googled this band yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. But oh no, my god so, um with 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 radiohead um so like i said they've been making music for nearly 40 years um their members met while attending boys' school, which I think is just the loveliest little. Very I love. British. Oh, oh yes, like my my husband refers to elementary school as public school because he he's uh, originally from Britain 
And I had to turn it around to him and say once, like, you know that public school here doesn't just mean elementary school, right? It means like schools that aren't Catholic <laughs> or private. I'm like what? Yeah, yeah. Um, so originally their band name was On Friday. Um, and so I, I was looking up like the the youngest member is Johnny Greenwood and he just turned 50. So like there, I can kind of understand why they're, you know, not performing as much anymore, even mm -hmm. pandemic aside. Um, even from the early jamming days, they took influence from jazz and of course, film scores, other avant-garde styles. They semi broke off to attend university. It's still jammed regularly. And then after university, they all kind of got back together uh, performing in Oxford. They were discovered by Chris Hufford and Bryce Edge, who remain their managers to this day. Now, their first EP was Drill, Nobody Cared. Uh, and then Pablo Honey was later released, and still no one cared. And it's interesting, we talk about how big of a hit Creep was. Um, Creep, which was released as a single before the album, initially did not perform well. Um, it's It was called, you know, too negative, too whiny. Um, it was um, called depressing. Uh, someone uh, referred to, I believe it was the album, as quote-unquote a mistake. Um, but then as you know, it sometimes happens and you usually hear this happening to American bands that find success outside of America. But in the case, in this case, it was a UK band. Their first big international success came around Israel and Tel Aviv. Mm. Um, and then, uh, and then eventually in the U S and suddenly everyone likes Radiohead and it was a big redemption arc specifically for creep. So it, it crept up the billboard 100 and then that eventually drove it up the UK singles charts it was, I think is so funny because it was a flop in the UK until the Americans decided they liked it. So in 1994, they recorded the bends and that was their absolute takeoff for mainstream success because you've got the big singles, you know, you said high and drive, they classic trees, they began touring more and and they said this is when they became much more confident. So 1997 was OK Computer, which I think a lot of people have told me this one's their favorite. Um, yeah. it's, it's a good, it it's marked, a good one. Yeah, it, it marked their first really uh, distinct exploration to the avant-garde and ambient sounds, uh, which is obviously still a signature for them. Uh, lyrically, it also became a lot more heady and broad, less introspective. And at this point, Radiohead is just enjoying critical acclaim. They're a touring machine. They've got the best alternative album Grammy, and I would say like they were the alt rock band. Um, Kid A, two thousand. It was also a departure, more minimalistic. You know, like you said, um, no singles. You, you know, you're, you're totally right. This was when they stopped having quote unquote hits. Um, it did also win the Grammy for best alternative album. I feel like they kind of owned that category for I, the nineties. Um, Amnesiac was released like a year later. I honestly think it's better described as a companion album to Kid A. Um, Hail to the Thief follows very shortly after um, and even more blatantly political than their previous eff efforts. Very, I mean, they've said it themselves, very anti-George W. Bush. Like, it's not a you could interpret it the that way. Tom York has said it, he, he saw a lot of raging stupidity uh, in that era. Uh, they departed from EMI shortly after and went to work on In Rainbows. Of course, famous for being the first album by a major band to do a pay-what-you-can structure online. Um, between In Rainbows and King of Limbs, the guys embarked on some solo and side projects. Johnny Greenwood started doing film scores. Tom York did Adams for Peace. Um, they also really disengaged a lot from media engagement, and they didn't do as much touring. Once they released King of Limbs, which, I mean, if you look at the critical response in the Grammy nods, like, it did well, but yeah, a lot of people, like you said, bottom of the CD pile. Uh, once they released it, though, this is, you know, the asterisk of their one lineup change. They hired drummer Cly 
Clive Deemer to help with uh, live performances since you can't do a lot of the stuff they did on that album with just one drummer. So that's really their only one lineup change since 1985. Uh, so this is the time to talk about the, the one time I was supposed to see Radiohead, which um, mm. June of 2012, it was the weekend of my 23rd birthday. Um, I had already seen a Dan Megan concert earlier that day, a free concert as part of Luminato. Um, and I was supposed to go to Downsview with my, my then boyfriend. And it was, I think we were about to get on the subway when we heard that there had been a stage collapse uh, at Downsview Park um, about an hour before the show was to start. And um, we only learned later that, um, that someone had died. So the stage collapse injured three and it killed their drum tech, Scott Johnson. He was very much a part of their touring family. Uh, so between Live Nation Canada, the two, uh, two other companies and a structural engineer, there were 13 charges laid under Ontario health and safety rules. Um, they were dropped after five years, not because no one was found guilty or anything, but because of just the time it took to go to trial. I guess there's a statute of limitations on that. Uh, Radiohead has condoned that decision, but um, so no one has um, faced any charges or uh, any convictions for that or anything. I believe it's officially ruled as accidental. Um, in 2015, they were commissioned, I, I didn't know this actually, they were commissioned to do the theme for the James Bond movie, Spectre, um, and then their song was rejected, so they just decided to put it up on SoundCloud. Um, yeah, and, I sort I sort of yeah. remember this, was like Adele did the song instead? or No, Adele did Skyfall. Skyfall. Okay. Yeah. Which I, I do actually like that song. I like its yeah. kind of old schoolness. But um, and then the next year they released a moonshaped pool, marking the last time they recorded or released new music. Although they continued to do things like say they've re-released their old back catalog for free. Um, the guys have scored more movies on their own. Currently, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood are working on a new pro music project called Smile. And so, although Radiohead is currently on a hiatus, they're still very much a band that exists <laughs> they, they sure do exist um and overall they've had an amazing career um they've racked up a number of awards and nominations uh six grammy wins 19 additional nominations and they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2019 so that's radiohead folks <laughs> yeah i mean that that's a quick run through but uh yeah what what a career and just i i do like they can sort of fade in and out uh which is was isn't that a song fade out that they had um yes uh well street spirit fade out which straight um, spirit that's right yeah good parentheses well, I, Jan. I have done a, a dance a competitive dance to street spirit fade out and i have to say it was very good i um, i well can, I, i'd like to see that sometime but you did great and i, I always thought that but more of like almost a classical guitar feel it, it always does, reminded yes. me a bit of the song. Um, I don't know if you know this one. It's a real oldie, "Classical Gas" by Mason Williams. I listen Williams. to "Classical Gas" all the time. Do um, you? Okay. Well, it plays a very prominent part in one of my favorite uh, series of the last year, which is um, which is the Queen's Gambit. It's a it's a montage song, and the the montage set oh, to "Classical Gas" is really good. But um, okay. yeah, like the the whole descending broken chord stuff. It it does. I don't know if that song is done on a classical guitar. It's probably just an acoustic, but it does. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that That's kind of that. style. Yeah. yeah it, it's, what, one I'm thing moving I was... my body, forgetting this is an audio medium, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, well, I mean, one, one thing I always like that they were very ahead of the curve in terms of technology. I, 
you can think of like many examples, most of them anecdotal. I remember when OK Computer came out, a lot of the reviews, this was right when like electronic music was hot and, you know, the Prodigy and Daft Punk and Fatboy Slim and Chemical Brothers were taking over. And that album, I remember reading a review saying, this is the first guitar-based electronic album. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's just so dumb because these are like electric guitars that everyone's been playing i mean van halen plays electric guitars yeah but i i think just being british they were so different than oasis who was practically the biggest band in the world at that time um so yeah you mentioned off the top how they were kind of big in other markets other than the uk and that they really I just while you were talking about their background in Oxford, I was just peeking at who the other bands from Oxford are and bands like Supergrass and these sort of Britpop bands. And I, I just I don't think of Radiohead. I almost don't think of them as a British band in a weird it's way. True. Yeah, yeah, they sort I, of seem I, like they're from nowhere. I, and I, I like that about them very much. Um, and the other so another thing I found really interesting, and of course, I'm psyching myself up today. Listen to my big Radiohead catalog. I think aside from Pablo Honey, and I will definitely keep Pablo Honey out of this equation, you can't really put Radiohead's music into a particular era that easy. Like, I can listen to a lot of bands, like like Rush, we were talking about earlier, say like, oh yeah, this is definitely like from this era. Like with Rush, I can say for sure like, oh yeah, this is from their 80s new wave stage because it sounds similar. You know, it still sounds like Rush, but it sounds like other things from that era. This is their 90s stage. Um, or if I'm listening to any other band, it's like, oh, this is definitely from the late 2000s because you can hear um, the influence of EDM and dubstep. For the most part, I think Radiohead has this very insular thing. Like they knew what they were going to do. And if like I like bands that kind of have their own musical eras, like they definitely went through their own stages, yeah. but it's not so very clearly influenced by other music of that era, like which is why I also love the Flaming Lips. Like I find the Flaming Lips has that quality as well. Yeah, like I, I, they're one of those bands, all their albums sound pretty different, but at the same time, you can kind of say, oh, yeah, that's Radiohead, you know, which is, which is a rare skill. Um, I, I was, I'm peeking on, on Spotify here. I find I do this more and more where I say, if I'm trying to find an analogy or something, I'm like, okay, you know, the fans also, I don't know if you have Spotify, fans also like. I'm an Apple so like, Music gal, but I was a Spotify gal for the okay. longest time. <laughs> Well, like you look at the bands, fans also like for Radiohead, the top five other than Tom York solo, which is kind of different. So you have Blur, Interpol, The Pixies, uh, Portishead, and Flaming Lips. And I just think, God, they don't sound like any of those bands at all. Um, um, maybe Portishead a little bit. Drummer, well, their touring drummer worked with Portishead. Okay. But, um, yeah, like I would say... I don't think they sound like the Flaming Lips, but I don't know anyone who likes the Flaming Lips who doesn't also like Radiohead. Totally. Um, and so they like because Flaming Lips and Radiohead serve very similar purposes to me, which is like I'm hanging out at home and I just want to put something on. And, yes. you know, that sounds like music I don't care about. Like I care deeply about Radiohead, but it's great for passive listening. Um, I'll say the one regard in which you can kind of date Radiohead's music is I would call OK Computer through Hail to the Thief their absolute we live in a society phase, like lyrically, um, which <laughs> yeah. is it's very much a George W. Bush era thing. Like um, people stopped making I don't want to say people stopped making it, but in the George W. Bush era, there was a lot of we live in a society albums by a lot of artists. Is this like a George Costanza 
reference? Didn't he say that in Seinfeld? We're trying, or I think he said we're trying to live in a society here. <laughs> um, um, I I don't know, but it's just kind of become a meme about like it's you know we live in a society like um, very like I I hate society. Uh, the same people who found the fanfic My Immortal to be very funny. I might be getting too millennial for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think so. You, you're gonna need to reference yes. some uh, the state from MTV or like Kids in the Hall or something. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, um, Ra Radiohead. It, uh, how they market the, themselves, I thought was very good, and I think it ties into what you're just describing. I remember when they had this might have originally been like a VHS cassette that came out with OK Cupid. Oh, there you go, OK Cupid, OK Computer. <laughs> um, where it's called meeting people is easy. If you ever have seen that, but it's you know kind I've heard of dreary. That title, but I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's like dreary tour films and stuff, and it's I, I believe it documented Radiohead on tour in America. Um, Trying to remember because they did a lot of opening acts. Like they, I I know when the Benz came out, they they opened a lot of shows for REM, for R. E. example. And yeah. I feel like what and I feel like when it first came out, they also opened a lot of shows for. Uh, believe it or not soul asylum who were a massive band at the time and i i still kind of like soul asylum i feel like they get under remembered um mm -hmm. but again sort of one of those they probably don't like playing runaway train um but yeah like everything about radiohead just seemed very futuristic in almost a non fully contrived way a very deliberate way but yeah. I think they would pull it off. I remember, I think it was when the, the Moonshape Pool came out, they deleted their Twitter account because there was already work at Twitter at that time. And it's sort of uh, another band that if you too did it, I'd say this is a, or Kanye West did it. This seems like a publicity stunt. Radiohead, it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so I appreciate I, that. So I don't know if you've ever done a lot of um, readings of um, Theodore Adorno. Um, no. and so I did some readings of Adorno in my cultural studies degree. Um, but that said, like Adorno goes a lot deeper than what I read. Um, he philosophized on a lot of things. I mainly knew, um, his commentary on, um, music and musicology and, um, essentially, I mean, I'm going to butcher this. So, um, uh, Dr. Boutros, who I've shouted out on this podcast before, um, if I if I butcher this, I'm very sorry. It's been 10 years. Um, so Adorno basically believed that there's kind of no such thing as unique music. And the idea that, um, like, he, he wrote a lot about music criticism as well, um, and a lot about um, the sociology of music and how... Um, like we keep marketing certain music as new and different and especially like alternative. And that, um, that music is like, I, I, I mean, I don't know what Adorno was going for if he wanted uh, music to just kind of sound like old car crashes or something, but basically uh, that um, the more you think that like, I'm, you know, this is, this music is alternative. This music is different. The more you're kind of become like, it's like pseudo individualization. Like you think like, oh, I have chosen something for myself and I have chosen something different when he's like, ah, bitch, it's all capitalism. Um, and like I said, I'm really oversimplifying here, but I would say that um, like, Adorno would probably still say Radiohead's still, you know, sheet music or whatever. But um, 
I think Radiohead is very, very cognizant of that. And it never tries too hard to, it never tried too hard to be subversive. Like it never tried to market itself. They never tried to market themselves as different. They never tried to market themselves much at all, especially once they stopped having anything to prove. Um, and I, and so I really, you know, I was talking about this on my episode about 2000s indie with, uh, with my friend Luke, how, um, like Godspeed you Black Emperor, which is like way more off the map than than Radiohead. But um, the idea you get the idea like these guys are making music just for themselves. And yes. yeah. I, I think Radiohead has moved more and more and more toward that. Like they they're probably rich enough right now that they do not care who consumes their music or who likes their music or whatever. And it is it has become very evident through their last several releases that they do not give a shit about commercial success and i i kind of love that <laughs> yeah it's i I'm, I'm trying to think who their closest modern day equivalent would be i mean if if godspeed you black emperor would play stadiums perhaps them I, a band that i thought and i don't know how popular they are anymore but it, it seemed like that band sigur ross for a while was oh, yeah. getting into that territory, not to the level of Radiohead and certainly didn't really have hits on the radio, but I just remember seeing the, Oh, like, Holy shit. They're playing amphitheaters in you know, in Los Angeles, they're playing the Hollywood bowl or something. This is just like some guys from Iceland. Actually, someone like Bjork is maybe similar. Who I, I've never Bjork's really a been a huge example. fan of. Again, um, so but, by naming off Sigaros and, and Bjork, you're naming off like, every every artist that my later latter half of high school dance like contemporary dance routines oh wow. okay bjork i could oh, totally yeah. see like it's all like like interpretive interpretive dance um but yeah like it's flaming lips are interesting that you mentioned them because i certainly think that that you know they've certainly got closer to radio but again that's a band that i think of as a guitar band yeah. that I think of closer to like Dinosaur Jr. because I had like a bunch of their guitar albums growing up and, and She Don't Use Jelly was like a minor radio hit and had like a silly video you would see on like Beavis and Butthead. So mm -hmm. I still sort of think of that as Flaming Lips, even though they once they did Soft Bulletin, it was like, okay, this is totally changed. But they also put out that album that was the four CDs you played simultaneously, Zarika. I don't know if you yes. ever heard that. Um, they, I, they were, I knew of it, but I don't have the commitment for that. Here's that. This is a fun fact, and I, I wish this actually happened. When I was at McMaster <clears throat> University in in Hamilton, Flaming Lips, they would do these tours. They would call them parking lot experiments, where like Wayne Coyne would hand out cassettes and try to replicate that album. And they were going to actually do one in Hamilton in the parking lot of the Sonic Onion store. Um, which would have been like the biggest thing in Hamilton of the late nineties, but it got, it got canceled. I think the band blonde redhead played instead. If you, oh, they were like a New I York, know. they're, they're pretty oh. cool. You'd probably like them if you like all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. also remembering that flaming lips did have one of their songs in a car commercial when I was in high school, okay. which is, yeah. Which of all things though, it was, do you realize, which, I mean, that was a very commercially successful song. Yes. If, if you had told if I hadn't been aware of that song, like if you told by by the way, do you realize it's going to be in a car commercial? My answer would be like, "Fuck off!" Like, yeah, like there's um, no way. But again, like I, that's yeah. that's not a, a a austere song. That's like a yeah. love song. I think that's a big wedding song. 
for some people. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd personally dance to everyone you know someday will die. But um, <laughs> so, so talking about like the latter Radiohead stuff, I, I was listening to this today and I actually, I got to ask, why do we, we as a society, the royal we, think that it was King of Limbs that was so alienating? Like, um, I, I think there are parts of it actually that I'm like, oh, this is this sounds very much like the Radiohead I, I know, like, or when I say classic Radiohead, I generally don't mean Pablo Honey, and I don't even really mean the Benz. Um, but like Little by Little is a very like classic Radiohead song, not something they would have put out in like 97 through, you know, 2005. Uh, like Lotus Flower is fine. Maybe it's a bit boring. I was a bit surprised that they released a video for it just because they weren't a music video band at that point. Yeah. Um, like Codex. That's the one where he's like, dan like he's dancing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The weird. Yeah. I mean, that became Tom Yorka. Tom York, um, if he has a face for radio, he has a body for, I don't know, zoetropes. Um, <laughs> but uh, Codex, like, I think is actually a really great song. My, my favorite Radiohead song of all time is Videotape, but um, Codex reminds me a bit of Videotape. Um, I, like, there are songs like Separator and Feral. I'm like, okay, these aren't bad songs, but again, these, like, are more like, okay, this is a good study song. Like, I thought, personally, it was Moonshaped Pool that like I thought history wouldn't be as kind to. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think what was really popular music-wise in 2011. Um, I throw my hands up in the air sometimes. <laughs> so everything was really peppy and positive. Yeah. yeah, it was like, that was really like, post Lady Gaga, I'd say pop music really came back. And like we discussed this in our in our indie episode, like, Indie was it for so long, like, mm -hmm. and beyond beyond just Canada and like indie and alt rock and like even the pop stars were really aping rock at the time. And then like after Lady Gaga and like kind of when Beyonce went solo and when she really took off, like pop came back unapologetically. Yeah. And like, yeah, 2011, that was when I was, you know, choreographing big dance routines at Laurier for like our big fashion spirit thing and stuff. And everything was like very happy stuff um like and even like that was just before like that was bef after drake had you know bit become a thing but before he was really yeah. like a superstar so even hip-hop wasn't as like cool like cool and r&b influence so here's um, here's a theory this is a good yeah. theory so the, maybe that album 2011 was not well accepted because radiohead got somewhat market corrected in the culture by Kanye West, who was, I think, <laughs> I doing... I think that's actually fair. I think he was doing, like, my dark, twisted fantasy or the, the album yeah. that came after that where he was getting really experimental because hip-hop was such a... I mean, continues to be a force. Um, and Radiohead, I just feel like... Yeah. yeah. I feel like Radiohead just... It's like, okay, another Radiohead album. You know, we've got mm -hmm. eight. Uh, sure, I'll go see them headline Coachella Festival and it'll be great. But kind of like, I, I feel like they're sort of at the band you almost take for granted stage right now, um, yeah, perhaps for I, some. I think so. And I think like just judging for how their releases have become much more infrequent and they're really going out and doing their own thing now. I would, and they, they have officially called what they're on a hiatus. I think it's probably fair to say that we're not going to see another Radiohead album. Like I don't. I just imagine like they're or or that if we do, when they decide they're done, they will be a band that has no problem saying, yeah, you know what? We're done now. Like 
they totally. they don't seem like they're desperate to hold on to anything. And and I actually do agree with you. And it's interesting. Like, and I'll bring bring up our Canadian indie episode again. But hip hop has for so long not been recognized as a genre that is experimental. Like in the you know '90s when even like early 90s when people loved hip-hop and late 90s 2000s it was really easy to take pot shots at hip-hop and act like it was you know just all bitches and hoes and like that it was you know supremely unoriginal and everything sounded the same and that's never been the case like you know sorry if your only exposure to hip-hop has been what's on much music um but i do think you're right that like kanye regardless of his personal life and controversies and stuff. Um, I think Kanye was a big game changer um, for people just recognizing the um, the power of hip hop and how, um, yeah, like you said, how experimental it could be. And like radio, what King of Limbs, it wasn't different or it wasn't anything unexpected. It, yeah. it, like there had, there wasn't, it was a different envelope to push, you know? Um, well, I, I think it's, yeah. the, I was going to say that generation, you're right, you started seeing even wildly, I feel like that was the generation that was really the the first hint of this very like languid, drugged out style of hip hop. Do you hear it? And some of these artists are like wildly popular, like I put everything from, you know, Juice World and like even a lot of the like Mac Miller's, sorry, I'll try not to just do dead rappers, but like some of the Mac Miller stuff, like I think ASAP Ace Rocky, who I was like yes. really into at that time and all the stuff Clams Casino was doing, Lil B, uh, like fuck, the first Kendrick Lamar album's pretty out there and still, mm-hmm. I still kind of like it better than some of his other ones. So I almost feel like that, again, that stuff perhaps took over. Plus, I don't know if just like, you know, God, like EDM became in every different format just became such a much, yeah. force at that time um, it was uh because the in when i was in university the bar i worked at we were next door to what had been an old movie theater and it got turned into a bar except that bar couldn't get its liquor license yeah. and um so it became an edm venue and you don't oh, need wow. to in 2011 you don't need to be selling liquor at an edm venue because everyone's just taking ecstasy and so i would come up go outside the bar, you know, after doing karaoke or whatever and see like teenagers, you know, passed out uh, or like just like kind of hanging on a railing. And it's like, oh, okay, they're having a good time. Um, and that was like, and I, I don't want to say I've never been particularly plugged into pop culture. Like I'm not one of those people that uses that as a point of pride, but I had no idea until I would see those crowds like, oh, wow, EDM is popular again because I associate EDM with like raves and raves in the 90s so different than raves now like raves in the 90s were what your like only the i don't want to say weird burnout kids went to, but it was what the alternate alternative crowd did yeah well and, it was a, it was um, a lot of yeah. effort to go to a rave because you know you'd need some weird burner phone and there'd be a school bus <laughs> like outside union station and they'd take you into the woods and that, I, this is all like hearsay i didn't go but people i knew who were See, into my raving, husband, the stories who... were like wild my husband, who is a fellow Gen Xer, um, he did go to a lot of raves. So yeah. I just, yeah. Um, but you're right that it, it really, that really got mainstreamed. And like a lot of this EDM stuff, like, you know, people talk about how repetitive and stuff it is. But like, it, again, they're pushing their, they're, they're doing their own version of pushing the envelope. And it's interesting because I don't think radio had ever set out to push any envelopes. Like I said, they just seem like guys who are making music that they like to hear. Um, but 
I I actually think um, uh, King of Limbs. My my honest thesis is that for the true fans, it wasn't different enough, because yeah. I think it's a really natural um, follow up to In Rainbows, but we had to wait four years for it, and I don't think it offered any. And like every single other genre, we're seeing this kind of like renaissance and this like th this really great emergence of new artists and you know who have that kind of sense of danger and stuff and uh king of limbs is just kind of like oh it's radiohead so i don't actually think it's a bad album i and i think people might misstate or misunderstand why it wasn't it just kind of happened and no one really remembers it yeah i, I don't know it's perhaps i i don't think it's only one thing but maybe the fact they put that certainly in the last 15 years have very infrequently put out new music after a certain point you can't win like two bands i can think of that put out long um delayed's not the right word but long anticipated albums two bands i think are sort of in the same headspace to some degree is radio at the aforementioned portis head Mm -hmm. I would have those like huge gaps between albums, like 13 years. I, I I think they have like three albums in 25 years or something. And then uh, I don't know if you're a fan of My Bloody Valentine too, who put out like they finally a, did a yeah. follow-up to 1991's Loveless right around that time, 2013. And it was good, but it's like after 20 years, like how do you even like wrap your head around like, oh, the follow-up to Loveless is out. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, like your, yeah, your life's changed, and like I remember hearing Loveless when I was in high school or university. It was just like this is fucking crazy, but they're like really sort of en enigmatic, and there'd be rumors. And this was sort of like when the internet was around, but not really. Like <laughs> when the internet was just for weirdos. Yeah, and then you know, twenty twenty five years later, he puts out an album. It's like okay, like I mm -hmm. I don't even know where to process this. It was like yeah. it's great, but so it. Again, like we, I think the fact Radiohead can't be segmented in plus certain market conditions, I could see why maybe that album wasn't as well received as it could have been, and it probably has nothing to do with the album itself. It was sort of well, everything and around the thing, it. And being, you know, having a degree in cultural studies, and people always ask me, like, oh, cultural studies, is that like a global studies? Is that like anthropology? And like, I have to tell people I was actually studying a lot of pop culture, and yeah. Um, yeah. which, like, then I, like, it's like, yeah, I had courses on music and comics and, you know, cultural studies of myths and machines. And um, then people think it's just like, okay, so you're just reading comics all day. And what I often tell people to understand is that culture is art plus context. And I think when you review something, it's kind of like, it always pisses me off when, um, say, a book version or a, a book gets made into a movie and people review the movie and it's like, well, I liked it better than the book. Well, you know, you have to consider it separate from the book. It's like, well, actually, but you're asking me to reinvent reality because I do know the book. And so, yes, I, I can compare it to the book. And so, like, yes, I can compare Radiohead to what else is out there. Yes, I can compare Radiohead to their previous albums because they exist and culture doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, and I think reviewing things as if they're in a vacuum is is disingenuous and just doesn't take into account what's out there. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the other thing, like I was trying to think of one band that did wait 10 years to release a follow-up to their first album and it was the exact same but it was awesome and that is canadian boys death from above 1979 um, okay yeah yeah, yeah the, the physical world is like almost a sequel i would say to you're a woman i'm a machine so, 
almost the like you you could flow one album to the other and like i my husband and i listened to it on a road trip before because he'd never heard them somehow and he he couldn't tell when one album ended and the other began. Yeah. But, um, and they but, seemed like they were probably had the same uh, hits because I remember that yeah. the physical world was pretty popular and had some songs you know you'd hear on your leading streaming service or the radio if you're in a car or something. It was just like wow. But then I was like, why did it work for them? And it's like, well, because they only had one album. Like Radiohead had established that they were like fine changing, and in fact, that changing it like was part of what made them such an ambitious, intriguing band. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of like different stuff from them, like I, I've gone back and forth and I tr- I tried really hard to listen to it in its entirety today. I God, I tried. And I'm trying to think like Pablo Honey, like would it ever get vindicated by history? And I kind of go back and forth like, is it a good album? Is it not? Like it, are there any semblances of what Radiohead would become in in Pablo Honey? Um, the main difference, like I think it's not it's not a bad album. It's significantly more melodic than a lot of Radiohead's music. And I would also say they were trying too hard to make Tom York a singer, singer. Like he was doing a lot mm. more singing as opposed to where he's doing, I would say, artistic whining in the rest of it. And yes. like, all, all respect 100%. to Tom York, but yeah, yeah, they were really trying to make him a singer. But um, when I listened to the last song on the last track on the album, Blowout, um, that is like, it's almost like they listened to the album back and said like, oh shit, this is how Tom should always sound. Because yeah. that is... Like that is the one I would say go back and listen to. Don't bother with creep. You know what creep sounds like. And even like anyone can play guitar, which is I think a really good song. But um, yeah, listen to Blowout, and there's your indication of what they would become. That's like the Easter egg uh, for yeah. yeah like I, I I honestly never liked Pablo Honey. I, I, honestly, I, I thought it was badly recorded for one thing. Yeah, um, but maybe, didn't everything kind of sound like that back then? Yeah, with that. Yeah, that's the thing. It just I don't. I, like I didn't like the album art. <laughs> like, the, the album art is stuff. weird as hell. It's yeah, like that I don't just like seems that like Grunge One Hundred One. Yeah, like it. It all seemed very much of the era, just like a totally okay guitar album from nineteen ninety three. I remember even when Just came out, and I mean, a big part of this band for me as a kid who grew up listening or watching much music was the videos too, especially the videos from the Benz were you know, that this was like high art. Like I grew up in suburban mm-hmm. Toronto. I'm like, oh, the, the Just video, what are they saying at the end? This is like a great cinematic mystery. Uh, well, like almost the stuff of urban legends. And um, <laughs> yeah, and all the videos from that album were very, very different too. Like High and Dry who had sort of like a dusty Southwestern motif it was in black and white, like half the videos of that era. Mm-hmm. Um, fake plastic trees kind of look like the video for Pulp common people at least there's a part where they're like pushing tom york around in a shopping cart yeah. um, and a lot of symbolism <laughs> in it but yeah i mean that that album when it came out the bends i think my reaction was like a lot of people like what the fuck this how is this even the same band and also mm-hmm. this kind of reminds me of like sonic youth but it does still sort of remind me of like blur or like suede but kind of nothing yet not like yeah. inaccessible. Um, the, the one analogy people used to draw, I think more when like Kid A came out, that like it's, it's so stupid to compare bands, but like this is the, the Pink Floyd of Gen X. I actually thought I, it was I, yeah. pretty good. Like it's like, yeah, I don't wanna, I don't like analogies, but I think that's not bad. 
I think the one thing that people can be really opposed to analogies, especially when it comes to like boomer bands, like like Pink Floyd and stuff, or the God forbid you compare anyone to the Beatles. Um, (laughs) But I I think it's just like a protectiveness over those things. I don't necessarily mind analogies. Um, It's just that bands like Pink Floyd are so varied that it's hard to make an analogy. But I would say that Radiohead does come close. I think it's a completely inoffensive one to make. Um, I have this as a loose note and it doesn't really go anywhere, but... I'll say one thing that bugs me because I, I love that Radiohead experiments with time signatures because I I am a big fan of jazz and blues um, being a tap dancer and I'm a big fan of odd time signatures and like even I've got like my kids that I teach and I'm teaching them to work in odd time signatures. It really I think it's the most wasted opportunity that two plus two equals five is not in five four. It's in seven mainly in seven and I'm just like you could have. You could have done something there, Radiohead, like and you chose not to. Fuck interesting. You. I, I, I don't even know like directly what that means because I'm not it a musician. It means that like most no. most music you would count one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and then some like 15 step is a song of Radioheads so that is in five four. It's one. How come I end up where I started? One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I took a lot of music lessons as a kid. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, well, I again, I I think that's apropos because I I do feel like Radiohead at times have got likened to like kind of free jazz and and more experimental like yeah. jazz guys like like John Coltrane like Interstellar Space or like Sun Ra. I feel like these are just like nerdy music critics just trying to flex like their record collections with some of these <laughs> analogies and then like a lot of. Um, I remember they, they get compared, I feel like they still do to some degree to like a lot of like the German bands of the 70s, all the Krautrock uh, bands like Can and Faust, just because they're they're, they're not like, like really a droney band, but there's a lot of, I do think there's some degree of like repetition as like art. Um, yeah. But, See, but again, like with my, keyboards yeah. and stuff too. My husband, he was really into shoegaze and then he was really into like the, the droney wall of sound stuff. And so I guess I think of like how wall of sound that can be like stuff like Autechra. And sure. um, yeah. I'm I'm just like, I wouldn't put Radiohead in like not anywhere near that, but I'm just like, oh, they could be so much more repetitive. Like, I still do think they're like, what's fun is going through their back catalog and trying to find hints of that guitar band that they were in Pablo Honey and, and really in the Benz because the Benz was when they were like perfected their status as a guitar band I think and trying to find it in current current music and I would actually say and it's not a newer album anymore because it's you know 14 years old but um but it's the in the last three albums they released so I can still consider In Rainbows a newer album um is Body Snatchers I think that okay, is kind yeah, yeah. of the perfect like hit like you hear hints of who they started as and you hear hints of who they are now um there's it, yeah it's um like even with the drumming and stuff it's not there are a lot of affects of jazz drum and jazz drumming in their um i'd say pre-king of limbs stuff yeah they, i i feel like pre-king of limbs too and maybe this wasn't conscious by them but it it did seem like they weren't trying to play anything resembling rock music Mm -hmm. um it was certainly i would still say within the genre of popular music but it it had nothing to do with rock rock and roll even when there was like guitars going on 
too. Interesting. Um, like, I, I, I go so back and forth with how I feel about labels, like genre labels. And I don't want to say they're increasingly irrelevant because like they're rooted in really valuable history. But I think like since I've been in high school, like I always said, like pop is what you call um, popular music you don't like and rock is what you call um, popular music you do like. Um, and so I like... I think, oh, would I categorize Radiohead as a rock band? It's like there's, there's just putting them as a genre is both extremely loaded and extremely simple. Like on one hand, you can say, well, no, because they've got elements of jazz and they've got elements of classical and they've got elements of shoegaze. And, the, and then they, there's another part is like, no, they're fucking rock. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I do feel like the definition of what's a rock band has become very narrow I, I i had i think these were two different twitter polls i randomly put out because i i want the, the the hive mind's opinion on this one was is Coldplay a rock band the other and this this is a this is a provocative question but i stand by it as being something that warrants discussion is maroon five a rock band and if the answer is yes are they one of the biggest rock bands of the 21st century see and this is where i still have that really high schoolish it's a very immature instinct of mine because on both of those like i mean i i like coldplay i don't love them but like i'll say i really enjoy making fun of coldplay and who who doesn't um and my instinct is say no they're not rock but that's because like they're popular and i think they're lame and so like it's a very like 14 year old instinct i have like that's not a rock and roll like (laughs) and same with maroon five like yeah they're lame as hell, but I mean, yeah, that's why like genre discussions are so weird. Well, oh, here's a question really for you: Is is Marilyn Manson a rock band? because uh, yeah, there's... Marilyn Manson is capital P problematic, so I'm not yes, answering yeah, that. No, well, okay, yeah. well we can move. What about um, REM? Is REM a rock band? Yes, I would say they're like. Cause, I mean, here's the thing: it all to me falls under popular music, and yes. thus pop um so i would say rem is a is popular music and that it fits under the general uh umbrella of rock i'm pretty generous with what i'll call rock if i'm thinking about it yeah i i I feel like i asked that last one because and sorry this is now very this is nothing to do with radiohead but well i I mean radiohead used to open for rem so well there there you go and i i do think they're like mutual kind of admiration society yeah Is, is rem the greatest north or let's just say american rock band of all time and if they're not who is i remember having a very long debate with some friends like we were just sort of fancy booking all the options and it was everyone from like beach boys credence clearwater revival rem nirvana um they get to like van Van halen and like guns and roses so much Yeah, the Eagles, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, massive American bands. Yeah. It's, it's actually a very, I think it's a very difficult question. Because um, mm-hmm. somebody said it, and I said, I, I don't want to agree with this, but it might be right. Not that I, I, I don't really have an opinion one way or another about this band, but are the Foo Fighters the biggest American rock band of all time? I have so, so I love the Foo Fighters, but I have said for the longest time that the Foo Fighters is probably the biggest rock band, American rock band, because no one hates the Foo Fighters. Yeah. No one even dislikes the Foo Fighters. Yeah. yeah like I don't know a lot of Foo Fighters fans, but no one dislikes them. Um, yeah. I, 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 would, I would say, yeah. yeah. 
And if you were to talk UK bands, I don't even think you could say Radiohead. I think you would have to say U2. Um, but for like, who's the well, biggest? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, UK slash Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which and and it's funny that you mentioned this topic though because and I think it was Talking Simpsons of all podcasts and they were doing an episode about the show where yeah. uh, Homer goes to Hollapalooza, and um, they were talking about like rock bands aren't big anymore because of that like rise of EDM and pop and hip hop and stuff like there aren't like l let's just imagine for a second that COVID isn't a thing and we're you know recording this in person and hanging out yeah. um but um like there aren't a lot of rock bands that pack stadiums anymore and Radiohead was kind of the last one like and and you too like that's I, I can't think of that many others. I guess I, I feel fighters. like there's. Yeah. I, I feel like one band, and this is a, I, I mentioned them earlier, but seem like they just have a real unique staying power. Is the Killers? Um, yeah. Who's I? I know they've announced like a stadium show next year, like next September or something. So get get your Good tickets. Luck, but <laughs> that they do seem like they've stuck at that level. There's other bands that of the last twenty years that got to that level, but I feel like you know post-COVID concerts are bands like uh, The Arcade Fire, The Strokes, Kings of Leon. Do these actually fill stadium? Even a band, a more contemporary band, like Imagine Dragons or... Who's that band? Flimsy or, or Cushy Face? Who am I? What? Uh, 21 I... Pilots? Oh, God. I hate this so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like that's that's... I think that's a rock band, is it not? I, I guess um, I, I can't stand their sound and I have a hard time listening to them. Um, I, I'd say Arkells, but they're still very Canadian. Like they, they're really big and they're still so yeah. Canadian. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like Arkells just have like a, yeah, like a very sweet spot in the culture that, you know, perhaps yeah. but, Blue um, Rodeo and tragically up have had in the past. Yeah. So the last thought I have, which is less about Radiohead as a band, but I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing. It was during the hiatus between In Rainbows and King of Limbs that Johnny Greenwood started scoring films. And I think some of the other guys have done film scores as well. I have to say I'm not a huge fan of his scores, um, and especially, um, you know, talking about movie versions of novels I like. The movie version of We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is mm. fine, but it's very different from the movie. Um, yeah. Were you tweeting score. about this the other day? I feel like I saw yes. some tweets about Okay, yeah. Yeah, but basically because it's an epistolary novel and it's really hard to adapt epistolary novels yeah. into, um, yeah, because the whole thing is about letter writing. Or, and, yeah. yeah, it's like um, Laura Linney and some other people are in the movie version. Uh, or is not it... Laura Linney, it's uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton, She's amazing course. in it. Yeah. But Johnny Greenwood did the score and it's so... I, I hate it actually. And I was oh I was so excited specifically about that element because I'm like, yeah, I'm so excited for this. It's my favorite book. We've got Tilda Swinton in it. We got John C. Riley in it. We've got the guy yeah, from yeah. Radiohead doing the score. And it was really odd and dissonant. But then I was thinking, was that the era that we were just super enamored and overexcited about directors pairing with 90s rock guys? Because that was when David Fint, I think, the Social Network had just been nominated for Best Picture and just won Best Score, and you know Trent Reznor. Oh, he wore a suit to the Oscar, so everyone sure, yeah, lost Atticus their shit. Ross, yeah, yeah, and so everyone was just really excited about the David Fincher, you know, Atticus Ross. It, it was the in thing to do having '90s rockers do your movie scores. Well, I think, I think Eddie Eddie Vedder did uh, Into the Wild. You remember yeah. that? Um, I know that Johnny Greenwood has done 
more than one collaboration with Wes Anderson, which I right. think is, is yeah. pretty cool. But um, yeah, so I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if honestly a lot of the guys just stuck to things like movie scores and stuff. Because like I said, they were pretty inspired from the start by movie scores. And I hear that a lot in some totally, of their music, yeah. especially their middle, middle era music. Um, so but I think it's probably more... easier. It's probably easier in some ways too. Like not to make it oh, a yeah. bit like ease of <laughs> performing, but... But um, I mean, live music, like when is that coming back? And I, I don't want you to answer because I don't want to think about it. But, yeah, um, yeah, no, it's depressing. Let's let's move on from that question. Yes. Um, but so we're barreling toward the, the very premise of the show, which is the, the peak of Radiohead. And I mean, I'll say before I ask you, when did Radiohead peak to you? Peaks mean different things to different people. You know, some people it's like this was their best thing. Thus, this is their peak. Um, some people it's like, when you know oh you know you could probably stop listening after this or when was the last good season or album or when was the last fine one so to you um and some people it's about personal experience so what is the peak of radiohead for you I, i'm gonna answer this from a more cultural perspective and not from my own point of view but i feel like it was early 2000s because i i think they were pretty important bridge band between the 90s and the 2000s because you know i don't think bands like pearl jam and rem uh god love them but i don't think anyone really remembers the albums they were putting out in the early 2000s that well whereas yeah. radiohead was still putting out meaningful work and uh it's interesting when kid a and then amnesiac came out like very closely back to back I, I got real vibes in a weird way of like and, and I, i've never been a big u2 fan but like uh, actung baby and zuropa how those came out in quick succession too or just like especially when amnesiac came out it just seemed like this is this is just a band that seems like music is just pouring out of them they're playing stadiums they still have like sort of critical acclaim and oh my god now we've got here come the strokes and the pixies are getting back together and um other stuff there's like popular it's not my cup of tea but like a band like wilco is like really hitting their stride but we still had like uh spiritualize and beck and stereo lab and all these cool I, I think they're cool bands but like radiohead just seemed like like they were like the biggest like they, they had just ascended like they're like as big as you too but they're not you too thank god <laughs> um so culturally that's what i remember i might be remembering it wrong because i know I they still that's... you know yeah like that i know they still can play probably anywhere in the world in like an amphitheater or stadium they're still mm -hmm. that popular but culturally again i feel like it was just they were their holding power from like the the late 90s because i'd argue 95 and 97 were like their best albums the one that i hold most dearly um, That's awesome. Not that I didn't like the other ones. So yeah, let's yeah. go early. Early two thousands was their peak. So I'm not too far off, and um, mine. It started out as like I. I had to tell myself, don't just say in rainbows because you like in rainbows best. Don't just say in rainbows. Um, and, and that might also, a friend of the show, Ted Raymond, uh, said when he reviewed The Simpsons, you know, it's like you ask anyone, what's the best season of SNL? It's the one, you know, when you were a teen, when you were a teenager. Right. Um, yeah. And, and which, like, God help the teenagers of today. Um, and uh, so, uh, so. I know that part of it is just in rainbows came out when I was 18 and I was peak music consumption. Um, I do think there is actually a lot about the cultural moment of in rainbows. Cause like 
one thing about Radiohead, they've been very, very critical of platforms like Spotify and stuff. And I was thinking a lot about, you know, since the days of Napster, which like they were, I forget which single it was from which album, or maybe it was a non-album single, but they were rumored to have leaked a single of theirs on Napster themselves. Um, mm. And so since the days of Napster, a lot of music industry executives have really tried very hard to frame, uh, you know, streaming or downloading or pirating or, you know, even Spotify as music fans versus musicians. And like one is stealing from the other and like, oh, I am music fan because I downloaded like I wouldn't download a car, but because I downloaded in rainbows, I, you know, stole from Radiohead. And then like, but on the other side, it's like, well, you know, the the greedy musicians, you know, pricing things and like it, they it's been a really successful diversion away from the greed of record companies. Um, totally. And, you know, how I mean how even these days like unless you are radiohead big or taylor swift big or adele big like new musicians today most of them don't make good money like again yeah. like, if you're if you're billy eilish yeah but if you are not regularly you know getting tv appearances even if you have millions of streams per month like you're not you're not making a lot of money and i think radiohead when they did pay what you can like for the most part, it was well received. Some people criticize it because it's like, what does this do to help struggling musicians? I would argue that Radiohead doesn't have a responsibility to help struggling musicians. It's the record companies that are taking advantage of them. Um, yeah. You know, well, especially at that like when, time was. Yeah, that was that was peak pirating, really. Like, I mean, I know yeah. Napster really hit the bit in the late '90s, but like. I, I didn't pay for a gosh darn album back then. I was, I mean, I didn't make my own money. I was 17. Um, but uh, don't, don't come arrest me, please. Um, but um, yeah, and so I think that was kind of their first, probably not even their first time that they said suck it music industry, but they really, it was kind of a big suck it to the music industry. Um, combine that with the fact that I think In Rainbows is just such a, beautiful album in so many ways i i was actually shocked when i looked back because i i knew that 15 step was released as a single because it was in um the first twilight movie but i didn't realize that house of cards was the other single from that album and i think house of cards is a surprising one because it's a very boring song to me um yeah. i would have if if i would have absolutely made a body snatchers uh body snatchers uh, or jigs falling into place i think are really just kind of the ultimate like uptight jittery radiohead song that i like um and videotape i think is i i was surprised when i heard that album i was surprised that they came out with another album because videotape sounded like a goodbye and mm. it sounded like a reflection back on your career and like i'm i'm happy with what i've done you know and we we can we can call it a day if that's it like i really thought videotape was their their farewell what, um, what what year so that's 2007 i mean yes. I, I think everything you said is right and I, I yeah the the pay what you can thing almost becomes more and more significant by the year well because now you they, have our, like band camp and platforms that actually do allow and like a lot of musicians will now do that and say, hey, you know what, I, I'm glad you found me on Spotify. Why don't you pop onto here and pay what you can? And even um, the artist Jack Dump, who uh, did the theme song for this podcast, and I, I was using one of their um, pre-made songs that they gave me permission to use, but then they were kind enough to rec record, a, write an original song for me. But like 
the idea of just releasing music just because and saying pay what you can or just take it it's yours and like democratizing it a little bit but ultimately it's that it's the artist that's in control and i think that's really powerful yeah well i think it also in in a way perhaps um not previewed but was a precursor to like beyonce dropping lemonade or even you know completely mainstream things like taylor swift's dropping which always seems to be like on sunday night or something or you know drake dropping a mixtape out of the blue um and but it just it's so telling radiohead put that like on their website pay what you can go use at your own risk whatever whereas like you too forced it there that other album on your iphone and you had no choice and people are like what is this fucking malware get this off i don't want to listen to this <laughs> but like and you too thought they were doing everyone a favor because that was their interpretation of um, technology so i mm. thought that's the, i just remember when you two did this i'm like this it reminded me of like radio i'd pay what you can but the complete opposite almost because it mm. is like a reactive versus proactive thing and like nobody yeah. wants music proactively really yeah um, not from I, those I will guys. also say <laughs> although you know i still consider in rainbows kind of the peak and what would have been like i would have been absolutely fine if that were their farewell um if we're also talking just quality and stuff i think i really need to give like a special shout out to hail to the thief i think it's mm. a, this is gonna sound weird to say i think it's a very underrated album and i don't want to be one of those people that calls everything they like underrated because like obviously Hail to the Thief had critical acclaim and fans love it but I find when people talk about what was Radiohead's best work a lot of a lot of people say in rainbows a lot of people say okay computer uh, some contrarians will say kid a um, and you're you are far from the only person who said the bends um, but I think Hail to the Thief is kind of seen as like an also ran and I think if you look at the style they were doing at the time the repetitive humming music the unsettling chord progressions that was when Radiohead like really perfected that style like they and they evolved from it and bloomed really nicely after that within rainbows but to me like hail to the thief is a real it's a real groove and i um i hope it gets kind of vindicated by history which is not to say it was ever regarded as bad but i want to meet just one person who says hail to the thief was my favorite radiohead album i i, I feel like the challenge that album is always going to have is i, I do think that was like very widely known oh yeah they're george w bush album yeah. Which will yeah. fade as the years go by, as George W. Bush becomes less and less remembered and just goes into the, you know, presidency of the United States pile, not yes. the band, the presidency of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I still feel like there's a lot of people who think, I know when I hear that name, I'm like, oh yeah, the George Bush album, which is oh. bad. Like I should I should know better because that's very just simplistic and it's not it's not all that relevant. Certainly not now. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of albums in history, the reactions to stuff happening in news cycles and whatnot that I love, a lot of which I did not live through either that are like, you know, all the Vietnam albums, for example, like, you yeah, know, fortunate I, I, song by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Totally. All right. So, Cam, we have discussed Radiohead. We've discussed all sorts of things, music. Uh, we've discussed your fantastic bird sight. Um, so where can our <laughs> listeners find you and read your thoughts and hopefully help you out on those ratios? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you, you. You can follow me on Twitter at uh, Cam underscore Gordon. And, and quick PSA, I cannot get you verified if you ask. Uh, that's Shit. Probably yeah, not not you personally. I mean, other people. I, I know, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, you, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm I'm always on there, and uh, yeah, feel free to say hi. 
Fantastic. All right, Cam, thank you so much. As for me, I've been your host, Brie Rohde, and you can follow me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. New episodes are due out every second Thursday. Listen to our back catalog. We've got some musical episodes on Canadian indie music. We got a lot of TV episodes on King of the Hill, so you think you can dance The Office, and a whole month on The Simpsons. We've got movie episodes on Scream and Song. We've got another music episode coming out two weeks after this on the aforementioned Arkells. Take it easy, keep peeking. How brilliant is that? He's in the radio heads, you say? He's in, he's in the radio heads, yes. <laughs> Noel Fielding is blown away by that. Is that real? Yeah, that's real. <laughs> How brilliant is that? I know. That's better than having two legs. <laughs> okay. The English.